Are you ready? I've been given one half hour, and I have two items to discuss with you. First of all, turn to Numbers 23, 19, and tell me where there's a problem. If there is a problem. Numbers 23. Verse 19. Remember now, we have we have Jonah announcing that Nineveh is going to re going to be destroyed 40 days. And it doesn't happen. God changed his mind. What does this say? It says he won't do it. <laughs> well, no, wait a minute. It doesn't say he won't do that with Nineveh. Can't say that. He says, did it. It says he won't change his mind like a man. Oh. Not a man that he should change his mind. That's what it says. Want to go home and think about that one? Or what do you want to do? Anybody want to throw anything out? Well, one thing to note is that this is Balaam speaking. I can't quite hear you. One thing to note is Balaam speaking. Okay. That doesn't necessarily mean what he's saying is the truth. It's something he's saying. It's true that he said it. It's a narrative. He had to say it, though. Uh -huh. He wasn't. He wasn't free to say what he wanted, was he? Well, yeah, for the <laughs> most part. But in narratives, you got to be careful with what people say. Yeah, it's true. But in verse six. That the Lord put it in his mouth. Yep. So he wasn't quite free to say what he pleased. Let's assume it's true just for the sake of the argument today. Um, that, that this is what the Lord is telling us. He doesn't change his mind. But also at the end of the verse he says, And will he not make it good? By then of a repenting isn't that good? Well, anything more? We won't go into that. It's difficult, I think, because the Lord, in a sense, knew already that Nineveh was going to repent. Lord, now he knew it. He planned it, didn't right. he? Right. So it's hard. It's hard to comprehend. We're looking on it in human terms. Here. Oh. Oh. Right. Yeah. Like there are some places in the Bible where we talk about God in his nature as he is. This is one of them. He's not a man that he would change his mind. There are other places where God wants to get something across to us because we're stupid and sinful and don't think things straight through straightly. And so he uses human terminology, which we mentioned, I think, two days ago, anthropomorphic language. 
So he speaks as if he's speaking of human. This is not where anthropomorphic language is being used. He's talking about God as he is in himself. He doesn't change his mind. and We know he doesn't change his mind because he's planned everything. And it comes to pass precisely as he's planned everything. So one of the things that he has planned is that Nineveh would repent. Right? And so he didn't change his mind about this. Everything that happened, happened just as he had planned it happened. Jonah would preach it. The people would change their mind and repent. They changed their mind. And that's what it's really talking about when it says that, uh, you know, in, in Jeremiah 18, that God will do this or he'll do that depending on what the nation does. It's really whether the nation changes or the individual would change or not that we're talking about. So it was Nineveh that changed and repented, and therefore uh, God's purposes went along precisely as he had planned. We planned that Jonah would, would preach the message. We planned that the king would make the royal edict. Planned that the dogs would run around with sackcloth on them. And planned that uh, no destruction would occur. So when we're talking about God's planning and we're talking about God in and of himself, he's not a man he should change his mind. But when we're talking about how events take place from a human point of view, it looks like God changes his mind. I look, I think of it as a two-tier cake. You know, I always like to think of food as an illustrative item. It usually helps. And, and if the lower tier is the way we think about things, and the upper tier is the way things actually are with God. And the way we think about things, uh, and we have to think about them that way sometimes in order to even understand anything. God has to talk to us in that kind of language, or we don't understand because we're, we're, we're finite, we're sinful. All the problems we have in understanding are there. So God speaks to us as human beings on our level, and it's really more about ourselves than it is about Him. Because when, when we... Repent, that's really where the change is taking place. It looks as if God has changed his mind, but he hasn't. Because he has planned that we would repent. Does that help any? Or Alright, so that was one of the two items settled. The other one's going to be a lot longer. A lot longer. And I'm going to read you a lot of scripture. I want you to think about it as we put it together. Because this is all that Jesus said about Jonah. And we've got to, if we're going to complete Jonah today, we've got to talk about what Jesus said about Jonah, right? Mm-hmm. Or we, we, we ain't got the, the full stuff. Alright. So we're going to start with Matthew 16, 1-4. I'm going to read you a lot of passages, and then we'll talk about them. There's time. 16, 1-4. Pharisees, Sadducees, came testing him, asking him to show them a sign from heaven. We can skip uh, the next little bit and go down to four. An evil and adulterous generation, he says, seeks a sign. And no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. And then it says he left them and went away. <laughs> well, what's the sign of Jonah anyway? I mean, uh, the, all of a sudden, boom, you got the sign of Jonah and boom. 
There's nothing more. He left them and walked away. Well, we better read some more then. We want to find out what the sign of Jonah is. Let's start at Matthew 12 to find out what it is. Verse 23. I'm going to read a little bit more now. And the crowds were astonished. Are you all ready? I mean, you all there and everything? No. Crowds were astonished. And they said, could he be David's son? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, how can he cast out demons? Uh, he, he can cast out demons only by Beelzebub, above the rule of demons. Now because he knew their thoughts, he said to them, and we're not going to talk about his knowing their thoughts, that's a whole other uh, uh, cruise. <laughs> now, because he knew their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom that is divided against itself comes to ruin, and every city or household that is divided against itself won't stand. So if Satan is casting out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his empire stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, God of flies, by whom do you, your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by God's spirit, then God's kingdom has come upon you. Or, let me ask you, how can anyone enter a strong man's house to steal his possessions unless he first binds a strong man? Then he can rob his house. Whoever isn't with me is against me. Whoever doesn't gather with me scatters. So he really bound Satan in order to steal his people uh, and convert them. So then I tell you, now this is the conclusion of this, this sort of thing. So then, I tell you, all sorts of sin and blasphemies will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. That's simple what that was, saying that the Holy Spirit was uh, a, a filthy spirit like Beelzebub. That's what the blasphemy against the Spirit of God was, uh, saying that he can't cast out demons by the Spirit of uh, by Beelzebub when he really cast him out by the Spirit of God. So that's not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with Jonah. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of a man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit won't be forgiven. Either in this age, that's Jesus' age, or in the coming age, or a coming one, which is our age, of course. Either tree, either, either, either consider the tree fine and its fruit fine, or consider the tree rotten and its fruit rotten tree. Trees are known by their fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you're evil? The mouth speaks from what the heart is filled with. A good person brings out good things from his good treasure, and an evil person brings out evil things from his evil treasure. I tell you that on judgment day, people will have to give an account for every careless word that they speak. You will be declared righteous by your words, and you will be condemned by your words. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees responded by saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he replied to them by saying, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. So no one will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the belly of the sea creature for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up in the, at the judgment with the, this generation and will condemn it. They repented at the preaching of Jonah, but now there is something greater than Jonah that's here. Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and will condemn it. She will come 
from the ends of the earth to hear she came from the ends of the earth to hear Solomon's wisdom but now there's something greater than Solomon here and then he goes to talk about and when an unclean spirit leaves a person he passes through dry land seeks refreshment he doesn't find it then he comes then he says I'll return to the place I left he comes he finds it empty swept and put in order then he goes and gets seven other spirits more evil than himself to come with him and they go in and they live there. So the final condition of that person is worse than the first. So too will it be with this generation. And we haven't finished reading. Uh, that's John the Baptist that preached. There was a great revival. All the people uh, flooded out to hear John and everything. But it didn't make any real difference in the community. So uh, uh, he swept the place clean. But seven new spirits came in. Things even got worse. So now we want to turn to Luke 11. We haven't finished with this thing. We've got several more passages. Luke 11, 29 to 51. And I've got to be finished in 15 minutes. 29 to 15, 51. All right. As the crowds pressed upon him, began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. As Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, the same way that Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so too will the Son of Man be to this generation. Queen of the South again will be raised up to judge and with this generation and will condemn them because uh, she came to the ends of the earth to hear Solomon's wisdom, but greater than Solomon is here. Men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and will condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. But listen, someone greater then Jonah is here. And then, uh, going over to number, page, uh, number verse number 50, that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was destroyed between the altar and the house. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it. All right, keep all these things in your mind because we haven't finished yet. We're going back now to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, uh, verses 31 to 37. 24, 31 to 37. Here we go. <coughs> Let me tell you that this generation surely will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth, this is, yeah, will, will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now nobody knows when the day or hour will be, not the angels of the heavens, nor the Son, only the Father, Father and Son knows. And, um, where are we here? Uh, da, 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 uh, I've got the wrong passage. That isn't what I wanted to write down. 31 to 37 is what I have. All right, well, we'll go on. Uh, we want to look now at 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 2, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 2, which tells us the story in retrospect from what we have been reading. 14 through 16. All right, 14 through 16. 
you brothers became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea since you suffered from your own countrymen the same things that we did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They displease God and oppose all people by trying to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles that they may be saved, thereby always filling the cup of their sins to the brim. But wrath has overtaken them at last. All right. All these passages now are talking about the same event. They're talking about the fact that the Jews, unlike the Ninevites at the point at which Jonah preached, the Jews had filled up, just about filled up the cup of wrath. The Ninevites had not yet filled up the cup of wrath, and God brought repentance to them temporarily. Eventually they did. He destroyed Nineveh. Today it's a heap of, of stones and dust and nothing but uh, the old walls in part. But at that point, they had not yet reached that stage where the cup of their iniquity was full and brimming over. The Jews were so close to that point that they had the message preached to them yet 40 more years and Jerusalem will perish. It was 40 years from the time at which Jesus spoke these words that the wrath of God came down upon those people. And as Paul said in that passage in Thessalonica, they have filled up their cup. There was that phrase again. And Jesus, a passage I missed and I wanted to read and somehow put the wrong reference down, said, go ahead and fill it up. He, he was ready to have, he, he, he was full of it himself. He had had it with them. And so the cup of the Jews, like the cup of the Ninevites, which it finally, uh, when it was finally filled up, had been filled and 70 A.D. fell upon them. That's what the sign of Jonah was. The sign of Jonah was not just that three days and three nights, uh, the two of them were somewhere uh, as if they were, were in the belly of a fish or as if they were in... in Sheol, one where one was and the other one was, and those two were similar, that is true. But the very fact that he arose from the dead, just as Jonah arose from near death in that fish, proved that God had accepted his sacrifice, that he was the Son of God, that everything that they had said about him was wrong, and then he ascended into heaven and he was seated at the right hand of the Father and the judgment fell in 40 years just as he had predicted. And the sign of Jonah was that in 40 years your city will be destroyed. But they repented. Jesus said in 40 years, he didn't use those words, but in this generation, he said, and a generation is called 40 years elsewhere in the Bible, uh, in 40 years or this generation, this destruction will take place if you don't repent. And they did not repent. 
John the Baptist came with that very message. The, the end of the Old Testament, the very end of it, was about a curse. Speaks about a curse. The Son of Righteousness comes, but also the fire that burns up that which is wrong and sinful in God's sight. And John came with that message. He came speaking the message of, of good news. There's one coming after me. I've got a message that you should believe and you should trust in him. I mean, he's the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. He's the Lamb of God. Some trusted and believed. But many of them went through the routine and did not believe. And that generation just got worse because there was a kind of change that was not a real change at all and the judgment fell upon them. So it's interesting how Jesus uses that very experience and he says that the Ninevites, unbelieving Ninevites, pagan Ninevites, would rise up in the final judgment and would testify against this nation uh, and say, you know, somebody greater than Jonah was here. <laughs> somebody greater than Solomon was was here like the Queen of Sheba came to see. Uh, Jesus was here and you refused to accept him. And the Jews, of course, said his blood be upon us and upon our children forever. What a horrible curse they brought on themselves. I can't think of a people saying such a thing. Even if they believed it, that they, that they would actually take the curse upon themselves, which they did. And it fell. The cup was full. Just as the one repented at the preaching of the word, so the other people refused to repent. They put to death their own Savior and the judgment came. And that judgment, when you read about it in Josephus, is something horrible. You can read about it in Deuteronomy 28 if you want to predict it, because God told them right at the beginning what was going to happen. If they did, if they did refuse, he told them they'd be eating each other's flesh. That's what he said. And Josephus was there. He saw it. He reported it. He was on both sides of the fence. In God's providence, this man was brought into uh, the situation in such a way that he knew everything that was going on in that destruction of Jerusalem. He was a Jew. And he tried to fight against the Romans. He realized the cause was hopeless. And he went over to the Romans. So he knew it from the Jewish side. He knew it from the Roman side. And he wrote it up with us, uh, for us, and we have it today in God's providence that tells about what went on, what went on in that awful famine in that city where, where the, the very grain storage was destroyed by one of the factions that was battling the other two factions in the city. And these three factions fought each other within the city. And then the famine got the better of them. And the, the picture of the woman who's, who's boiled her baby and, and offers it to someone to, for, for food. And all of this that Josephus recounts. What horrible things it was. And just as uh, Jesus said, they will throw a bank up about you and uh, surround your city. And that's what happened. 
Josephus explains about that bank, how it was built. He talks about it being built for the purpose, not so much of getting up into the city, but for the purpose of keeping the people from coming out of the city. And we know that the only people who really escaped were whom? Who escaped from the destruction of Jerusalem? Pardon me? Christians. The Christians who believed Jesus' word, right. Jesus said, when you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem, get out. If you're up on a flat roof and the houses are all lined up one next to the other, just run right across the top of them and get out the last one because you don't even have time to get down and take out a handkerchief from down below. If you're out in the fields, don't come into the city because the city's going to have had it. Get out of it and head for the hills. Go for the hills, he said. And that's where the Christians did. Eusebius tells us that they went to Pella, right up in the hill country on the other side of the Jordan, that flat hill country there. And uh, it, it must have been a horrible thing, just a terrible, terrible thing. And the interesting part of it was, it says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, well, how could they get out? The interesting thing is, is that Josephus tells us for some strange reason that when the armies first surrounded the city, and he can't give an explanation for it, Josephus was not a Christian, but for some strange reason, the army withdrew for just a brief period of time, then they came back again, and they never again withdrew until the siege was over and the city was level and so God in his providence again did something with that that army that, that told that army uh, you know get out for a little bit for some reason I don't know why they went out maybe they maybe they wanted to go out and cook hamburgers or something for a couple days but when they did the Christians moved fast the ones who believed and they made it the only people who made it of an awful, horrible seed. The cup was filled up and they did not repent. Nineveh, they did repent. So the same sign was given but two different effects from the same sign. Namely, that not many days from now the destruction is going to fall. Jay, can you give us a timeline between Jonah and now? The, the difference between uh, the, the Jonah preaching or giving God's message and they repenting. And, they, and, and the time when the, the town, when it fell? I don't know precisely when it fell. Uh, I should know that, but I don't. 612, I think. Pardon me? I think it was 612. Well, you're probably accurate. But you, I, 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 don't, I can't really place the time with Jonah. Oh, well, nobody can place the, place the time with Jonah. That's part of the problem. Uh, if you're asking for when it was between the two, yeah. that I don't know whether anybody can, because nobody knows when Jonah wrote. We're not sure. How does that relate to the comments about the archaeological digs, which you had said there was something? Around yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, what yeah, it does relate in that way somehow, but I'm not familiar enough with the archaeological stuff. I'm not, I'm not a, I know nothing about archaeology. It's not my territory and I, I was just wondering if it's 40 from years. It. Yeah. Look, look at uh, Weissman's book and you'll, you'll get what he has to say about it. And he, He's the one who tells us that there was a slight, over that general period he says, it's not, it's not nailed down, 
but it's a general period of time, he says, when it should be. Of course, that's, that's from his viewpoint of when Jonah wrote. But we're not really sure when Jonah wrote either. That's, that's the other part of it. So he has a view as to when Jonah wrote. And I don't know. Good question, but I can't help you. Any other comments or questions you'd like to make? Because I've my time is over. It's exactly 3 o'clock, and I was told to take a half hour before the Q&A. Pardon me? All right, well, we'll take any more Q&A on this you'd like to. He's trying to get out of it. Once to sit back there. I don't blame him. He was sitting back there with his wife, very comfortable and relaxed, and enjoying the cruise. Yes. I think the verse you were looking for in Matthew is 23:32. That's that's one of them, right? Jesus says, "Fill up then the measure of your father's." That's it, and in 23:32, uh, thank you, and it goes on. Uh, no, starts in 31. Thus your witnesses against yourself. Yes. You're the sons of your fathers. Very good. That is it. Thus you testify against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up the measure of your fathers. All the fathers have been killing the prophets throughout the years of the Old Testament. Alright? You want to fill it up, I'll tell you how. Do what you plan to do to me. That'll fill the cup. And then I'll give you 40 years to repent. If you don't, but 40 years it came. And there are some who are standing here, he says, who will not die before this takes place. So it was in that generation. And the words, this generation, occur all through the Gospels. All through the Gospels. And it's talking about this adulterous and, and evil generation and so forth. And even, even Peter on the day of Pentecost says, says you know, Repent and, and, and free yourself from this, this, this evil generation. He, he's warning against not just eternity, but, but the destruction that was about to come. And then when Paul writes in Thessalonians and says, The cup's filled, it's filled. Wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. In other words, it, it's, it's right there, it's ready to fall. What he's saying. So, the tragedy that. They didn't do what the Ninevites did, but they did. One of the great historical tragedies of history, that destruction of Jerusalem. The New Testament says, time of, of suffering such as there never has been or never will be again. It was so serious, so severe. People fighting themselves inside the city, three different factions. Famine, people eating their babies, people starving to death others others going over the wall and trying to make it and the Romans getting them you know it's it's just it was awful horrible experience what would you say to uh, the common critique of this interpretation this um, what would you say to what one of the common critiques when we would say the most the time of trouble such as never will be seen again and uh, 
how, how can you say that's the worst trouble in light of world wars, the Holocaust, other sources? Iwo Jima. Pardon? Iwo Jima, and so on. Right. Yeah. What's, what's the response mm. when people bring up atrocities such as those and say, Bible's, Bible is using a Bible's using an expression that's used elsewhere for something extremely horrible. That's an expression that was used elsewhere for that. I don't think it, it was meant to be taken in that very, very literal sense of, of nothing else has ever been like it ever will be. That's what it says. And I think it's telling us it's just horrible. They were also, they were also the, the former covenant people of God. Pardon me? So they, were the, they were the covenant people of God. That's the true. The was being poured out on them. That's, I think that's what Jesus had in view when he said the, the, there won't be tribulation like this before because actually his own, this condemnation upon the covenant people, the Old Testament covenant people. That's a good point. That's yeah. a very good point. That's yeah. why I think it's not just the scope of the numbers killed. Yeah. Or the, it's it's the, not how many people are right. yeah, showing. It's the intensity of what it means in its offense against yeah. God and its judgment of the, of the Old Covenant. Right, oh yeah. It finished the old covenant yeah, for no good, way. once and forever. The Holocaust was terrible, but in in the scope of uh, the history of yeah. what God has done, there's nothing. Right. Nothing like it. I agree. Yeah.